Okay, Jenner of Energy, number 85, and we have Ray Pete and Georgie Dinkov on the line. Ray, how are you? <laughs> Very good. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it, even with the, the time mishap. Uh, but thank you so much for bearing with us. And I hope you had time to drink your coffee. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Anyways, okay. So I've listened to the bits about protein that you've been talking about. And I thought maybe anchoring the show in that would be kind of the most interesting thing. And, I, and I'm not necessarily looking for you to tell everybody how much protein to eat per se, but more like I mean, as long as I've been following your work, you've been talking, maybe uh, referencing that 1999 military study, 80 to 100 grams of protein per person. And then occasionally if somebody would ask you, you'd say maybe even more would be better. And so I'm more interested in how you shifted your thinking on this. And so uh, maybe laying that out for us would be interesting. And then I have uh, more questions about it. Uh, uh, yeah, it really started uh in the 1970s, uh, I was volunteering for a free clinic in Eugene, and at that time, they were burning grass fields, uh, producers of grass seeds uh, for lawns. And everyone had respiratory disease because of the summer constant smoke. And I had found that stopping certain supplements uh, had uh, greatly reduced my allergies. Uh, and so uh, I just suggested that since everyone was taking every conceivable supplement uh, with no benefit at all, uh, I mentioned that to these allergy uh, people at the clinic and all of them got over their symptoms despite the field burn burning com continuing. And then they said, if, if that silly idea worked, what other ideas do you have? And I said, well, stop eating toxic junk like tofu and bean salad with lettuce and cucumbers and various seeds and indigestible material, all the stylish hippie stuff. Stop eating that and just try milk and cheese and eggs and meat and a more digestible diet. And so everyone did, and they said, oh, oh, the wonders of a high-protein diet. It wasn't high-protein. It was just a low junk food, basically, uncooked, indigestible materials. So it wasn't intended as especially higher, low-protein diet, but for years, people were saying that the repeat diet, which I had never defined in terms of major nutrients, but that came to be called the repeat diet and was considered high protein. But there's, if you're an active person in your 20s, you're very likely to be burning four or 5,000 calories per day of whatever nutrients. And so 100 grams of protein in a 5,000-calorie diet with lots of carbohydrate isn't a bad ratio at all. So uh, do you maybe there hasn't really been a change or a shift and maybe that's like a perception of, of people that are listening because like, I mean, you don't have to broadcast every single thing that you do every day. So maybe, maybe it's, this isn't really new to you. <laughs> uh, 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 the, um, when you, for many years now, I've been talking about uh, amino uh, restriction of essential amino acids mm -hmm. A cyanine restriction in animals 
increased their lifespan by 40%, and you got an additional percent for uh, restricting cysteine and tryptophan and other essential amino acids. So it's extremely life-extending to limit certain essential amino acids. And when you look at something Broda Barnes noticed about 50 years ago, I guess, he tried a high-protein diet, and for years he had been taking two grains of armor thyroid every day. And on increasing the meat in his diet, he had to take four grains of armor every day to maintain his functions. And so those two things have been out there as items of interest. The methionine restriction and longevity and the anti-thyroid effect of generally higher protein and the the life-extending benefits of the immunosuppressive target of rapamycin inhibitors, the rapamycin type of antibiotic, depresses our growth called mammalia rapamycin. And so that explains a big part of the mechanism behind methionine restriction longevity and protein inhibition of energy production in a safe way. So you're saying blocking the mTOR pathway is life-extending? Well, the abbreviation that they typically use in studies is MTOR, mammalian target of... Yeah, uh, yeah in, inhibiting that is good. Well, you know, the uh, so, some of the main arguments of the caloric, caloric restriction crowd is that that's precisely why they advocate people eating less, uh, up to like 40 to 50% less of the calories, because that's what um, basically blocks the mTOR pathway and activates the PGC-1 alpha, I guess, is the opposite one? Well, it isn't actually calories. It's the uh, anti-metabolic effect of those specific amino acids. I see. So maybe five or so years ago, you had written to somebody saying you didn't really feel right uh, without like 120 grams of protein. So where uh, was that something personal that you had experienced, maybe experimenting with a lower amount given the situation you find yourself in and and said to yourself that the methionine was maybe more thyroid suppressive than you had originally thought? Around the age of 30, everyone's mitochondria are being suppressed. So your metabolism is much slower after middle age. And... Uh, that means that it's much more susceptible uh, to being suppressed by uh, those uh, uh, unnecessary amino acids. So, I uh, so but but you're saying in, if you're young, you could need uh, normal 100 grams of protein or so. But in in later age, you don't need as much. You maybe need 50 or uh, somewhere around there. Is that right? Right, right, right. Uh, and the carbohydrates. Uh, uh, go up as you uh, uh, the ability to metabolize carbohydrates go up as you uh, re- reduce your protein suppression. And then what suppression of metabolism? And then what about sick people or just generally people that don't feel well? Should they reduce their protein intake or be conscious of it? Uh, uh, well. Uh, for, for example, having fruit juice uh, when you're sick, uh, a very high carbohydrate diet, 
uh, uh, is very protective. Uh, a lot of that is because uh, uh, the proteins, uh, even though they're anti-inflammatory for your digestive system, uh, if they're beyond that very low level, uh, whatever, 50 grams a day maybe, uh, they're going to uh, slow your metabolism. Let me reframe this. Would this be a useful tool in the toolbox for uh, a person to regain their health back is to try different some different amounts of protein, including the, the lower amounts? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, but especially different amounts of carbohydrate and different types. And uh, you just reminded me to talk about uh, the grape juice because I think that's really bad. This just reminds me of the, of the experiment the Russians did showing that you can survive and, in fact, thrive on a diet of nothing but potatoes and butter. Um Considering that potatoes have the, all these keto acids and they're basically the rest of it is carbs, um, would you say that would be a decent kind of diet for an older person um, or a high oh, metabolic person? Uh, oh, yeah. Everyone since Adele Davis, maybe before, uh, have commented on how well so many old people do living on tea and toast, for example, or jello and toast. That's the real repeat diet. <laughs> so what can one do to limit the, the dangers of starch, even in well-cooked potatoes? Because we don't want that starch, right? Uh, uh, just, just for energy, if it's well-cooked, uh, or with butter to uh, prevent preservation. Okay. So the butter is, is the main, like other saturated fats are basically the main protective factor when eating starch. Uh, uh, yeah, com combined uh, thorough cooking uh, w with a little uh, butter to uh, assure its uh, breakdown. Ray, for yourself, how did you arrive at the 50 grams? Like, what, what was that calculation? How did that happen? Uh, oh, uh, uh, just that it's hard to uh, uh, eat less. But uh, oh, sorry, uh, uh, even with the juices, uh, uh, as you uh, reach a gallon of orange juice, uh, your uh, protein is going up considerably. And that and that's uh, fairly difficult to do. You know, you like you probably have to modulate your milk intake and meat and things like that. Uh, like, uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though uh, the calcium in milk. Helps to uh, keep your thyroid uh, function going. Uh, you, you have to uh, at first uh, somewhat limit your your milk and cheese uh, and egg intake, uh, uh, and uh, e even uh, uh, well cooked uh, vegetables. Uh, you, you can uh, choose. Uh, some that have a little over methionine content. And then was the grape juice like kind of uh, useful for this kind of new experiment? Or I don't know how new it is, but the, the things you're doing now because to maybe offset with the, the huge amount of carbohydrate you would need to increase it? Uh, I, it yeah, it does have a huge amount of carbohydrate. You have to be careful because it uh, can osmotically uh, upset your digestion. The the grape uh, juice? Uh, uh, yeah, I can only tolerate two or three uh, ounces at a time. Oh, interesting. Um, and so, I guess uh, you're just uh, like you're. How many carbohydrates are? Uh, I'm, again, I'm not saying this so everybody should do it. I'm just cu just curious of what you're doing. You're maybe you're eating well over 500 grams or so. Uh, oh, just about. Uh, in that range, five or six hundred, I think. Mm -hmm. From just uh, mainly from orange juice. Oh, oh uh, no! Uh, uh, a lot of uh, very well cooked vegetables, uh, just for taste variety. Mm -hmm. uh, I just can't gag down that much uh, <laughs> grape juice and orange juice. And then I promise we'll move on. But how has this changed your liver consumption and your egg consumption? Like, do you eat less liver each week? I've very, very much less. Like uh, one or two ounces? 
currently it's hard to get good organic uh, liver, such as chicken liver. Uh, and so whenever that's available, uh, we'll have some uh, chicken livers with bacon, but uh, that might be only uh, once in two months. Oh, well. Uh, but your maybe if the butcher in Oregon had liver, would your preference be to or uh, be uh, ruminant liver? Would your preference be for that? It's just not available given all the crazy things that are happening. Uh, the the um, little chicken livers with bacon are are very pleasant. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer. I think that settles it. But why why would the change in, in dietary, uh, in the macro ratios, change the intake of liver for you as well? Um, you feel like you need less? or, or do yeah, you feel like I need less. Okay. Uh, but liver is a huge source of methionine, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I really early on, probably 10 years ago, you know, I think I ate eight ounces of liver and I felt real cold afterwards. And then the next day felt especially hypothyroid. So um, it might be just good for posterity. What the methionine, like what is the specific mechanism that it's suppressing the, the thyroid function? Or is it doing lots of different things? Uh, uh, lots of things. Uh, I, I don't know what the most important mechanism is. Fair enough. And uh, we can move on and Georgie interrupt me at any time here. Um, something I've noticed, uh, maybe you had mentioned it a long time ago, that people with like a physically larger brain might notice symptoms really quickly. Like they have really high energy requirements. And if those requirements weren't met, they would notice it in like kind of nuanced symptoms about their health. And, you know, that uh, idea, mm-hmm. I, I keep thinking about it because the, the people I talk to are all really interesting. <laughs> They're all interesting people with interesting ideas with different backgrounds. And I, I would bet that they're very, I mean, I mean, I know they're intelligent. And so, but some of the smartest people will notice like the tiniest little defects in their body. And so I was wondering if you could just speak about brain metabolism and then noticing uh, symptoms. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah the, the brain uh, requires in an absolute sense, uh, uh, a steady supply of, of uh, glycogen and, and glucose. Uh, and uh, so uh, just uh, uh, excited thinking uh, can consume uh, uh, really large amounts of sugar. Uh, uh, and uh, checking your uh, blood pressure it's called the pulse pressure or the difference between uh, uh, systolic and diastolic uh, pressures. Uh, uh, if you're, if everything is, is uh, running smoothly with enough blood sugar, uh, uh, you'll have a, a systolic that's at least 50 points, uh, 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 about 50 points. Uh, uh, higher than the diastolic, uh, uh, very often lower. But uh, if you're having a problem with your glucose, uh, you're going to have increased difference with uh, uh, maybe uh, 75 points higher systolic than diastolic. Uh, uh, And uh, if you get in that condition uh, from uh, excitation or or whatever cause, uh, anything that uh, depletes your systemic glycogen, uh, uh, and by checking your pulse pressure frequently uh, and increasing your uh, uh, glucose and starch intake uh, considerably, uh, uh, every few hours checking it and having more glucose, uh, uh, you can tell when you have replenished the glycogen stores because uh, suddenly your uh, difference between systolic and diastolic uh, will come down to 40 or 45 points difference. 
Wow, that's uh, useful to know. And then uh, on, in the same kind of uh, line of questioning, would you expect somebody that had a real low rate of metabolism and maybe had, I mean, we all have imperfect development, but somebody with like a physically smaller brain or something that had three vaccines and uh, just taking finasteride and stuff and says they don't notice the difference, but like uh, maybe somebody that's running at a really low level would not notice these like toxic insults that are happening every moment of the day to them. Uh, like, uh, it, it, could that equally be true? I, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and then George- people that take SSRI drugs are basically very prone to uh, not only self harm but also like getting wounds that they sometimes they they sit there and fester because they they ignore them they never felt the pain um, and they 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 couldn't uh, disinfect them. So people with high serotonin. They tend to, I think they tend to experience higher uh, emotional pain, but they're numbed at the extremities. Um, and I've, no, I've noticed several people around me that are taking these drugs. They often have these uh, wounds and scrapes on them that look pretty pretty ghastly. And uh, they only notice them when I point them out. They, they claim they didn't hurt when they actually happened. Uh, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing uh, eventually uh, is corrected by... Uh, keeping your thyroid chronically uh, a lot higher. And then uh, keeping in line with the uh, things I'm learning for the people I talk to, I'm, I'm probably talking to like four people right now that can take uh, 200 milligrams of progesterone and it has no effect whatsoever, but they all seem to uniformly benefit from uh, antibiotics, uh, like the specifically the tetracyclines or the macrolides. And so, uh, but they don't necessarily have digestive problems per se. And so I, Clearly, they're or maybe they're benefiting from the antibiotics anti-inflammatory effect. And then again, I know this is kind of redundant because you've talked about this a lot. But what, like, what do you think is a good approach or strategies for somebody that might have a nitric oxide problem? You know, if, if that's what's going on, and their liver is not uh, maybe responding to the huge amount of progesterone. Would would a small amount of T3 be useful, like a one or two micrograms per hour? I, I, I think so, and it all works. Everything that that you have to regulate with nervous system, hormones, digestive enzyme balance, and so on. All of those are involved, so that your cholinergic nervous system activity and your adrenergic system are, are activated in, in different ways. Uh, the uh, helplessness, uh, cholinergic uh, reflexes uh, uh, interfere with everything good uh, uh, so that uh, you make more nitric oxide, for example, and uh, slow things down and cause uh, inflammatory damage. Is there something I'm not thinking of that would be useful for that situation? Like, uh, oh, oh, I have an experience with this person writing me that they overcame that situation with XYZ, or is it um, like a... Go ahead. Uh, uh, looking at the whole picture and seeing uh, wh- which you're and most desperate need of. What about the like the tool in the toolbox of reducing protein? Would that be especially useful for somebody maybe with, that, with like a... Like, like, do you think what I'm describing is liver disease? Like a person not responding to the progesterone? I, I, yeah. Uh, and that can be a, a, a quickly repaired thing by getting the glycogen up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the liver turns off just like the brain, uh, if it hasn't stored uh, enough glycogen, uh, and that is a matter of two or three days often. So for liver disease, glycogen should be the top priority, and glycogenesis can't happen without T3 and progesterone and, and enough right. carbohydrate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, since you mentioned the cholinergic system, do you think that's the main risk of people using uh, nicotine as, uh, besides its many beneficial effects? The, the problem is that it, it is the direct agon- uh, activator of the acetylcholine receptors. Uh, 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 problem with using which? 
Well, I mean, several people have asked you about using nicotine from tobacco. Um, oh, yeah. Or just as a chewing gum or actually as a tincture or just as an isolated substance. Um, and, you, and you've said several times uh, that it, it may be beneficial. It's got a number of beneficial effects, but you're wary of it and you don't recommend long-term use. And uh, do you think that the fact that nicotine is actually a direct ligand for, the, for that system, an activator of the cholinergic system, do you think that's the main risk associated with it? I, I, I think that's likely. Uh, it's part of your cholinergic system and uh, you, you can't be sure how the nicotine is going to fit into the, uh, the anti-inflammatory system. It has that potential but uh, it can do the opposite too and turn, turn on cancer metabolism. Okay. Why do you think the tobacco consumption is so widespread among indi- indigenous cultures? Uh, you know, especially the ones that are, um, you know, in the in the Americas. Uh, um, it uh, has its stimulating value. It uh, psychologically uh, can tone things up and uh, make you function. Okay, so it's mostly as a, as a stimulant, as a widely available stimulant for for. Uh, yeah, I think. So. Okay. Uh, just going back to the glycogen for a second. Does methion like uh, two things I know you've mentioned that can deplete the liver of its glycogen, the estrogen and maybe the serotonin, and maybe they're working on the sa- the same mechanism. Does the methionine? Uh, how does that relate to the estrogen and the serotonin? Does that tend to increase them? I uh, yeah. The, the, uh, it has a, a demobilizing function in the muscle groups are in a constant balance. There's been too much emphasis on people who don't have enough muscle groups and not enough on the danger of uh, an excess uh, uh, methyl pressure. So in addition to the methionine and the insulinogenic effects of the protein, that, that's kind of, um, that could be a, a slippery slope for a person with a underfunctioning liver. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, uh, just a few more and then we can talk about cultural things. And I, Ray, I'm not going to keep you too long. Uh, um, and so the other thing that's completely unrelated, uh, Ray, lidocaine as a topical for hair loss, what do you think about that? It's generally cell-protective, and I don't know anyone who has tried it, but since it works for all kinds of very serious conditions, even helping with cancer and brain injury, it's almost always a, a good thing to try. There is a... It, oh, sorry, go ahead. It, it prevents energy waste. And so uh, it is uh, working at, at a simple level of it, available energy. It, it makes everything better. And then uh, I, I have at least one paper in re- regards to so-called pattern baldness, you know, and they, they, they say uh, investigation should be done on mast cell inhibitors for uh, pattern baldness. And so, obviously, the lidocaine would help with that, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole world wants me to ask you about the, the massage thing. And so, what uh, everybody is asking, what, what is he specifically talking about? Like, what type of massage? So, in my point of view, the massage ideas that were going around were like, don't, don't stop until your head is inflamed and red and has, uh, like, obvious inflammation in it. So, what, what type of massage were you thinking about that you thought could increase hair growth? Uh, uh, oh, uh, just... Uh a very gentle uh, massage, uh, 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 such as uh, uh, gently rubbing oil into it. Uh, uh, You don't want to uh, uh, cause inflammation. 
And that the mechanism there might be, uh, obviously it feels good, but maybe incre- increasing the blood flow to the area that is a, a problem with the hair loss? I, I, yeah, feeling good is the good way to increase blood flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you increase blood flow by irritation, uh, that's because you're doing damage that causes lactic acid production uh, and blocking good energy production. Uh, so they're uh, a, a very soft, stimulating, pleasure-giving uh, uh, massage uh, is the opposite of a, a rough, irritating massage. Thanks for that. And last question for me, and then we can move on. Um, the most, and uh, maybe you can c- concur, but the most common thing with uh, thyroid uh, dosing with Sinoplus and Sinomel is overdosing. <laughs> and I maybe once a week somebody tells me I started with a tablet of Sinoplus and a tablet of Sinomel, just like a as a starting dose. And so uh, I have a few questions uh, for you about this. So one, we've talked many, many times about um, maybe 10 micrograms of T3 being kind of a limit for dosing thyroid or maybe an, even an arbitrary limit uh, and using that with a with a meal. When you take 15 or 20, what uh, maybe you had said previously that the liver creates enzymes to destroy it really quickly. Yeah. Maybe you can just expand on that a bit. Uh, yeah, so that after a couple of weeks of doing that, uh, you are, uh, after maybe 10 or 12 hours after that uh, overdose, uh, you you have plunged to a hypothyroid state. Uh, and if you're dosing it only once or twice a day, those uh, ups and downs become uh, really extreme and can do things like stopping your heart rate when you're thyroid dips sharply. And then just because we've been talking about so much, for a person with liver disease, should in your experience and from what you've read, do you, do they tend to do better on smaller doses of T3 or bigger doses? Like what? Like uh, a, oh, oh, smaller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, I think no one should supplement thyroid until they've read at least one of Broda Barnes' books. Maybe the the it's not your mind, it's your liver. The hope for hypoglycemia. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think they just started reprinting that uh, as a side note. Um, and shoot, I had another question about the T three. <laughs> oh, uh, do you think it's a good idea to like I've I've seen the overdosing stuff so often that I started recommending people buy twenty dollar milligram scales. And as annoying as that is, I, I'm just worried about people taking too much. And so if they measure uh, a, a tablet of Sinomel, which is usually about 100 milligrams, and then they do that cross-reference math, and then they find the microgram dosage. Do you think that's a, a good way to do it, or is that too, is that crazy? Uh, uh, it, it, I, I'm not sure uh, whether they're actually going to be getting the right amount of C3 uh, uh, if it's well distributed in the tablet, uh, 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 I think powdering uh, uh, a Cytomel tablet uh, uh, and figuring that you're taking uh, two or three micrograms uh, at a time, uh, uh, you're uh, in least danger of uh, having a suppression. So that's good to know. So you, I, I, I did not know that. So you think the there could be like a, a huge amount of T3 on one side of the pill and, and not enough on the other side? It's just conceivable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very interesting. I, I appreciate you pointing that out. Um, and then once it's powdered, if a person wants to go for accuracy, they could measure it? Uh, uh, yeah, but, but I would tend to go by uh, the, the label. If it's if it's Cinomel or Cino uh, uh, or Cytomel, uh, I, I think you can count on uh, the uh, amount per tablet being accurate. But uh, n- none of the generics that I've tried 
uh, has been reliably uh, uh, the potency that they claim. But okay, so but once you uh, powder a Sinomel tablet, uh, like how would you if somebody was in a precarious situation and they're like, okay, I'm going to try two micrograms. Like how how do you even go about doing that? You'd have to have a scale, right? Uh, no, just, just by uh, visual judgment, you you powder a twenty five microgram tablet uh, and and divide it into ten apparently equal pieces. Okay, fair enough. But do you think, (laughs) I know you're maybe uh, resistant to recommending like a super complex type of thing, but like, uh, do you think that's a, if a person wanted to go for like, like very accurate doses, do you think that's a bad idea to do do the the scale? Is that like a, would that not be as accurate as the person thinks it is? It's misleading because uh, your body isn't that accurate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, The the, the body... uh, Responds very differently every time. Mm. Uh, there's there's no uh, uh, scale equivalent in the body. Uh, it's always a new experience for the body. Mm-hmm. But but what you're saying is it's basically impossible to get like an accurate dose of thyroid, and you just have to go off feeling, which I, I can accept uh, by, by by the feeling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, temperature, pulse rate, uh, and feeling. Okay, fair enough. Um, okay, I guess the, the uh, we'll let you go really soon here, Ray, but I just wanted to catch up on the cultural stuff. So uh, maybe, I don't know, three, four months ago, we asked you, are things still going to plan? And I, I just wanted to get your update about that. Do you still think things are going to plan? Not our plan, the oligarch's insane psycho plan. Which things? Like the the things you're seeing right now with the war and kind of the rallying about monkeypox and everything that's happening, and then the Fed starting to talk about the digital dollar and servers being online in February 2023. Do, do you, I, I guess there's sometimes a person will say, "Hey, I think their plan is failing." So do do you think that? Do you is that your orientation that things are not going well for them? Uh, oh, oh uh, yeah, they're. Uh, Everything they're doing is becoming stupid and and obvious, but they have rigged it so that uh, uh, stupid and obvious uh, aren't impediments to going ahead. Uh, The the, the banks uh, say that uh, there's simply no uh, alternative to uh, digital money, uh, and they're uh, just going ahead with it uh, uh, according to plan that takes time uh, to write all of the programs uh, to uh, manage uh, all of the money in the world uh, uh, on a, a, a mass uh, 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 stereotyped uh, manner uh, so that no one uh, has actual money, but everyone is on the uh, 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 retainer of uh, uh, a certain allowed amount of money. Uh, as soon as they can write the programs to administer that, uh, they're intending it to come out in, in something like two or three years just to get the bank machinery set up to do it. Uh, but uh, uh, even though uh, everyone who thinks about it uh, realizes it's uh, absolutely uh, evil, deadly, uh, uh, going to uh, ruin the whole uh, ecosphere, uh, they have created uh, essentially a mass dementia an epidemic of dementia uh, in which uh, uh, people uh, can't even begin to think about uh, how to getting out of how to get out of that uh, uh, deadly fate. So, a more direct question: uh, As you now see, I mean, I'm sure you've seen Russia and China are basically uh, have solidified their, their their union. Russia has said we're done with the West. It's over. 
there's they're they're about to start their own currency. Uh, the BRICS, the Br- Brazil, Russia, India, and China, the organization, and now they've added more to that organization, is also about to uh, you know launch kind of its own currency backed by commodities. Um, what do you, I mean? What do you think is going to happen over the next six to twelve months in the West without food and potentially without without raw materials for energy in Europe? And maybe even in the United States, uh, are we looking at at a I don't know mass famine event here in the states in the next six to twelve months? Uh, uh, yeah, the, the production of of uh, uh, grain by uh, uh, Ukraine and, and Russia uh, uh, is still uh, there, uh, so that uh, the worst of uh, uh, starvation in the southern world. Uh, uh, can be alleviated, uh, but uh, everything is going to be under uh, maximum tension. Uh, and uh, the only thing that uh, is uh, keep, keep keeping away uh, uh, a sort of terminal starvation condition uh, is the success uh, of the Russian uh, uh, Chinese uh, uh, third world axis. Uh, they they are uh, on the threshold of of a, a successful world economy, uh, and the, the main danger of that is that uh, the West can't see any non-demanded uh, solution, uh, and so they're increasingly uh, likely to resort to uh, nuclear weapons. I, I, so we're basically looking at, at World War Three because the West is now out of options. I just don't see what 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 does the West have remaining. Obviously, they're going to try to go full fascism first, just to keep the population under control. But still, that doesn't resolve the immediate situation, which is the economy of the West is done. Um, there's there's no literally almost no productive activity left here. Mm-hmm. So do you think that, I mean, basically that uh, now with the Federal Reserve raising interest rates and the economy <laughs> formally, not that not that, not that there was much of it remaining before, but even now the fake money is going to disappear or at least significantly be curtailed because of the higher, higher interest rate. Um, do you foresee things getting rougher over, you know, over the next six, 12 months? Or do you think okay. there's, there's some kind of a, uh, a, you know, an opportunity for improvement? I, I, no, I, I think the West is uh, uh, just uh, co- committed to uh, uh, everything getting worse. Wow. Okay. Ray, you echoed, I'm kicking myself because I can't remember this reporter's name, but he's in the Ukraine, and he basically said the Ukraine is getting slaughtered by Russia right now. Then the U- he thought the U.S. would then send in troops. They would also get slaughtered. And then the only thing the U.S. could do is, uh, because they never apparently said they would not do a first strike, that they would use nuclear weapons. Do you think that is like a plausible scenario? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, I, the, the state of dementia that uh, they have created uh, for themselves uh, uh, leads uh, uh, almost inexorably uh, to that. Uh, uh, was that Gonzalo? Yeah, yes, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's funny. Yeah, I mean, he's Do you, comp- does your animal instinct, the first signal system, does it tell you right now that the West is done? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I never hear uh, Lira say anything wrong. He is extremely compelling, and uh, and him being close to the action is also pretty useful. He he had another one saying that uh, – we've talked about this on the podcast before, but the Americans have such a strong normalcy bias that they can't see what's coming, like uh, right around the corner. And I, I feel like I experience that day – like every day. Like I feel like this is a, like wartime, but I, I don't think – I'm not saying people should have my crazy attitude or whatever, but people seem like they're kind of uh, – Complacent, or th- or think because we're in a re- reprieve from this crazy, like masks are disappearing and stuff, that things are going to get better. But uh, I mean, if uh, if he's right, you know, things are just going to get significantly worse fast, like really quickly within the next six months or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's approximately the schedule that I think is inevitable. 
Have you bought any canned food that can last you a few months? <laughs> I, 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 no, the, the cans are a nuisance. <laughs> uh, but, uh, get, getting a, oh, we have a, a barrel of coconut oil uh, and some powdered milk well, uh, and a lot of grains. Well, the and sugar, right? Uh, and uh, George, you said and sugar, right? And sugar yeah. and, and yeah. powder sugar, yeah, yeah. basically white sugar. <laughs> yeah. And the lo the low protein stuff is actually pretty useful entering into a dystopian future. Like exactly, need, right on time. Also, need less uh, eggs and oh, we didn't really talk about that. But what uh, has your egg consumption also decreased? Uh, uh, yeah, the the good thing about uh, the carbohydrates is that they're. Uh, uh, cheap uh, uh, will continue uh, uh, to be uh, quickly produced uh, and uh, uh, are easy to preserve. So, if you just avoided the methionine, the PUFA, the uh, the iron, uh, all the food additives, even walking into a dystopian future, you could probably feel relatively okay. Possibly. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay, um, I, I've talked to. I mean, because I always try to see the you know the arguments of the other side. So I, I over the years, ever since this uh, whole thing, the craziness with the pandemic started, I tried to talk to some moderates and, and some people really you know at the other extreme. And over the last two years, everybody that is that was moderate that was willing to consider that maybe you know there was some nefariousness, but you know they're trying to kind of like buy their time and see how things go. Every single one of these people ha has been so-called red pilled. Have moved towards. The, the side that says, wow, things are really bad. And then the people who used to be simply optimistic now have become extreme to the point that they don't even want to be bothered. And whenever you bring stuff up about like potential world war or anything like that, they just refuse to listen, which to me is saying that we are living in very extreme times. Uh, one last thing about the nuclear war. There's nothing to do about that. Like if they, I mean, if they use nukes, like there's no amount of, I mean, have you made any preparations whatsoever if that happens? Uh, 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 just to drive south as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or towards the middle of the country where they probably wouldn't waste the nuke on. Uh, uh, yeah, but uh, the, the clouds will uh, concentrate over the Northern hemisphere. So, uh, the farther south you go, the quicker, uh, the less likely you are to be quickly killed. Would you have so the, uh, the closer to the equator, the better? Uh, uh, yeah. In Mexico, would you have to go to like Chiapas, or uh, would uh, Michoacan be the best place to be for for that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think for the present, Michoacan is good. Mm -hmm. uh, high altitude, uh, moderate rainfall. What would be some remedies potential for low-level radiation exposure? Obviously, if it doesn't kill immediately or cause cancer over the next year, what could be some things that, that could decrease the, the long-term damage? Uh, uh, using a, a fossil, uh, if you have a greenhouse, uh, uh, heating it with fossil fuels uh, so that you uh, uh, avoid... Uh, the, uh, 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 such things as uh, uh, strontium uh, fall out and get stable calcium uh, uh, and uh, 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 avoid the uh, uh, f frequent uh, uh, the, the things that are very quick to absorb radiation uh, avoid vegetables that are uh, growing right after the uh, uh, the fallout. But that would include also animal food, right? Because the radiation will concentrate in their bones and brain and the fat tissue. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and so uh, old food is uh, uh, behind old stores of of dehydrated or or canned foods. Uh, they're the first to use. 
Okay. Last thing for me, one of the uh, common retorts, uh, if I'm talking about Mexico with somebody, is that they don't want to go because the cartels here. You know what? In a dystopian future with a um, nuclear radiation sea, what what do you see the cartels like function as when when things get really bad? Do you think they would take over Mexico and it would be really bad, or would you prefer that over some kind of digitized prison in the U.S.? Like you have to pick your poison, or what do you think about that? Uh, oh, uh, the, the cartels are, are, are just uh, effectively capital, uh, so there's not going to be anything particularly uh, uh, bad about what, what they do. I think they only exist because there's a huge market up north, right? And they're controlled by the CIA. If these things disappear, the cartels will have to find another job, which probably involves working the land and doing something productive. Uh, uh, yeah, they, they've turned to things like avocados <laughs> instead of drugs. You don't think it would turn into kind of an organized mafia type of thing, just like crime? I mean, that will probably just happen everywhere if if, there's, if things get really bad. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, uh, let's do the advertisement real fast. The newsletter is available by email now. Uh, it's $36 for 12 issues, which can be paid through Ray Pete's with an S newsletter at gmail.com. You can also order Ray's books uh, from PMS to menopause, progesterone and orthomolecular medicine, generative energy, mind and tissue, and nutrition for women by emailing that same address. And then also uh, Progestee from Kenogen. You can email Catherine to purchase uh, Kenogen at gmail.com. Each bottle of Progestee is 3,400 milligrams of progesterone. And uh, Ray, do you have any recent progesterone stories uh, from, from people saying that it did this or that? Uh, no, no. Uh, nothing special I've heard. I usually have one in the can, but I can't think of anything. Georgie, do you have one? (laughs) Uh, Yes, I do. I have a uh, person who lives in Europe who's been emailing me, and basically uh, they got diagnosed with uh, what the doctors thought were benign uh, tumors in the liver, Um, and then they did a biopsy and turned out one of the nodules was actually malignant. Um, and then this person really freaked out. I think he was he bought raised progesterone or had it from before, um, and basically took the equivalent of about a teaspoon daily. I think for two weeks, uh, and then they went back, and then basically the the malignant nodule had completely disappeared. Um, and then of the four remaining nodules that were con- that were basically they were uh, proven benign, three had also disappeared, and the last one had shrunk to the um, to the size of a, a pinhead. And after another two weeks, that one was gone as well. Amazing. Hey, Georgie, Ray, thank you so much for doing this. Ray, uh, stay on the line. We'll close the show. Uh, We have an amazing listenership. Thank you guys so much. We only had Ray for an hour today, so we're not going to exceed that. Uh, Thank you guys so much for bearing with us, and have a great weekend. We'll talk to you guys soon. Okay, bye, everyone. Okay, bye.